You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell, a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Wherever you may be, I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. And I am just delighted that you have joined us. We love to be in your ears of a weekend. And usually we're here working with Nathan Miller, but Tall Guy Nathan is taking a bit of a mini vacay. So we're going to be working with David J. I like this. That is hip. David, we're so happy to have you working with us today, keeping us on an even keel, as it were. Thank you very much. So we are here today, that fateful day. We like to do our drops at the beginning. That's just something we do. And I, I thought it would be a bit thematic, Suzanne Mitchell, if we talked in terms of being there on that day. It was fateful. It's a place that we could have not visited and look at all that we would have missed. There's so much in that part. In the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, there's no lack of entertainment, the natural sort. That fateful day, we were staying overnight in a hotel doing our 17-day road trip between here and New York, and you picked up a brochure. You said, oh, I want to see this place. I did. And yes, I looked we were... at it, and I said, I do too. Yeah, that was that was, that was the fateful day. Yep. I, I'm standing there holding a brochure in the lobby going, now I want to go see these here Lou Ray Caverns. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to sound like the guy that was working the front desk. <laughs> and we we had a great time, I'm telling you. We wanted to let all of our listeners, not simply in Seattle, though, hey, you're number one with us, folks, but also because we are on 1150kknw.com and we're a podcast besides, we want to get the word out about this place. A life without having seen the Luray Caverns is a life that's missing a little something special. Also takes everybody on one day of our 17-day road trip, which we've been talking about on and off since August when we did it. So why don't you... Uh, Say who we're going to talk to today and let's bring them on. We like to call that giving these guys their mad props. Then we're going to talk about stuff that you cannot believe. That all you have to do is look a bit under the earth's crust and oh, what awaits you in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Bill Huffman is the Director of Marketing and Public Relations at Luray Caverns Corporation in Luray, Virginia. What's interesting about him, I also want to congratulate Bill on his choice of alma mater. There, I mean, both these gentlemen are well-educated. Uh, our buddy Bill here got his Bachelor of Arts in English from the College of William and Mary. Oh, nice. And we drove around that campus. I am telling you. Many that, times. Oh, my goodness. It, it just, it has a colonial flair that I'm sure is going to be a permanent part of its heritage. Excellent college, too. After graduation, you folks in Seattle may want to know, Mr. Huffman decided it was time for a change of scenery, and he lived briefly in Seattle, Washington, and then later for a longer time in San Francisco. And now he is just the guy who's jockeying all of that gorgeous earth below the surface at Luray Caverns with a very responsible position. And obviously, they do a great job because we had the time of our lives, Suzanne. 
And then we will get to talk to James Roderick Otten Graves. That's Rod Graves to his friends and probably to the public at large, Senior Vice President of Luray Caverns Corporation. And really, there's so much more to be said about Mr. Graves because he has a background in higher education. He has a background in working in the arts, including in D.C., he is way up there in the pecking order of the kinds of things we're going to be talking about today and is one of the big reasons why Luray Caverns continues to be a major attraction in that part of the United States. He has an interesting family, which we're going to learn about. And so much more. Gentlemen, welcome. We're happy to have you with us on Manson Mitchell today. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you all. I would like to open up there with talking a bit about geography and I'm just slapping my forehead I should have paid closer attention in geography class instead of reading the latest issue of Mad Magazine back when I was a kid <laughs> there they had the whole thing you get, you get the kid with the big shoulders in front of you seated in front of you I had it all worked out and I could read Mad Magazine flying saucer books man I, I was up on all of that stuff and the teacher didn't know it or if she did she didn't say anything <laughs> but I could have learned a lot about America by discussing Shenandoah Valley generally and more specifically and especially Luray Caverns. Uh, gentlemen, take turns. Uh, Bill, let me throw it to you and then Rod's going to come on in. What I want to ask you by way of general sure. knowledge is what is it topographically, geographically, that makes that area of Virginia so hospitable to caverns? Because you guys have a lot of them. We, we certainly do. Well, there's a... Uh... As the earth formed in our area, there's a whole section of, we call it the Beekmantown Dolomite. It runs from Beekmantown, New York, all the way to Georgia. And it is a long strip of coarse kind of material, mm -hmm. uh, limestone. And uh, limestone is, you know, very, very, uh, it dissolves very quickly in when it comes in contact with acidic water. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how the cavern started to form. Uh, you know, there was a probably a inland sea here. All the sea creatures died and over geologic time compressed and formed this uh, stretch of, of dolomite that runs up and down the East Coast. It's like Jurassic Park, but nothing there wants to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Well, Rod, your own your own professional essay of where you work, your family connection to it, and what a special place it is. There must be a strong feeling of heritage in your family and privilege at superintending a place as magnificent as Luray Caverns. Well, you you really said it right, Gary. It uh, it has uh, it's a lot of responsibility and uh, a privilege dream job for me, really. Um, I feel uh, like my father did and my brother and I've often said that we're, we're owners, but we're, we feel more stewards than we do owners to some degree because uh, this will be here a long time after we're gone and was here a long time before we were a blink in my daddy's eyes. So uh, uh, yeah, we've had a, 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 a great, a great run here so far and hope to do more. But uh, we're all about preserving this natural wonder uh, God created. So it's a, a very important thing and an unusual uh, place with great people in it, too, like Bill and other people here, natives that uh, are very special people, too, that we have helped run it. 
estimates are that the caverns are over 400 million years old. In fact, yes, one place I think I read 450 million years old, discovered by somebody in your family in 1878. Can you talk a little bit about how that discovery was made? Sure. Well, the discovery happened on August 13th, 1878. Three uh, local men were actually out prospecting for a caverns. They knew of a cavern south of us that was open to the public, making money. Um, they thought, wow, that's a great opportunity if we could do the same thing. Uh, the townsfolks just thought they were absolutely nuts as they walked around the hills looking at every sinkhole. Uh, you know, you know, probably every farmer in the area has a sinkhole or some kind of little cave on, on their property. But uh, they found, uh, they looked on this cave hill where we are right now um, once before and didn't find anything. So they came back on that hot August day, uh, actually bent down and found a little uh, depression in the ground that had cool air coming out of it. And they thought, well, that's unusual. So they started to dig. They dug for about six to eight hours till they had a hole big enough for the skinniest guy, Andrew Campbell, to, to come through with a candle and a rope. Uh, he slid down that bank, and I can't imagine uh, his reaction when he saw the beautiful stalactites, stalagmites, uh, and they actually discovered what they were looking for. And he probably also said, wow, they made it convenient. We've got this pavement here. They got rails and everything. I won't even <laughs> <call it out." laughs> oh, that, was, that was a lot of sweat equity since then. You know, you call to mind something that's so important just for the perspective to put this in geographic and, and in the context of time as well. Those magnificent formations were well underway long before there were human beings. Oh, oh, sure. True oh, that. True that. It, it's amazing to think about, uh, you know, what's under your feet that you just don't ever think about. And uh, exactly. it, it's just amazing how how time when you go down there, you really do kind of feel back in time. And uh, it, it's it's humbling, really. I have I have called that uh, over 400 million year old date to every single person I've ever talked to about the Luray Caverns because it so does predate absolutely everything. And to think that that was there waiting to be discovered. So, you know, as it turns out, the, the men did discover it that day. And then I imagine there was just a heck of a lot of work to make something out of it they knew that there were other caverns in the area mm -hmm. and and what was uh you know our our um experience of being down there was not only is it huge but it is uh step free you have all these ramps and rails as gary was saying and you can walk through there it is um how many acres uh, under the underground? It, it covers 64 acres mm -hmm. uh, of, of caverns and you see uh, a distant view of 47. So you mm -hmm. do kind of see most of, of the caverns when you tour, it is just spectacular. Well, one of the is. things that's so special about Luray Caverns and I've visited probably close to 65 commercial caverns in the world is the fact that, that it's not only not because I'm prejudiced with it, but it's the most beautiful cavern, I think, in the world. In its amount of formations and color, especially. But the 
king of it all is accessibility. And that's key to what we do here. And that's a natural feature of that caverns is the, the natural flow of it being properly developed. And let me tell you, in today's world, that would cost an astronomical sum of money to do it right. Um, and uh, yeah. it's most are just not friendly to uh, uh, human traffic. And so it's designed in a way that that's so accessible and so uh, friendly to foot traffic. And that's that's yeah. such a hard thing. I've been in magnificent caves in Italy and other countries, and but they just don't have accessibility. You're walking down, you know, hundreds, hundreds of steps, flights of steps to get to your destination. And we are so blessed to have that um, element in our caverns. That's so true. I know your dad was on a mission to eliminate all the steps in, in the mm -hmm. caverns. Yes. And, and he did that in the, by the 70s. And then right. we finally <laughs> finished the project uh, in 2019 <laughs> with putting in our new entrance, which is a complete step-free uh, ADA accessible entrance. Some of the caverns does have, you know, a little ramps that aren't quite qualify us as ADA accessible, but you can certainly push a wheelchair through. Sure. Um, people take electric scooters through. So, um, you know, it's been great well, having that new entrance for sure. Well, we, it's the we, only we, brick paved yeah. uh, walkways uh, in the world with the ca caverns, not 100% throughout, but pretty close. Uh, and uh, my father actually got on his hands and knees and laid a lot of those bricks with his dad. Yep. So, um, <laughs> So that's a pretty cool legacy there. Absolutely. Well, Rod, you're right about that retrofitting because if he was thinking about not having those steps back in the 70s, I believe that was before the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. If I'm it was. And, it was. That so, was yeah. My brother and I are particularly uh, sensitive to that issue because in 1983, my father suffered a stroke that most men would have died from learn how to walk again and talk again, but not 100% by any means. But he still had his mind and still had his his will and then some. And uh, we saw him suffer through that. And we don't want anybody in the world to miss seeing Lou Ray Caverns. And uh, so that made it doubly, we doubled down on that sensibility, uh, you know, since he had his stroke and worked toward that mission of getting that. So that's kind of John and I's contribution to the caverns in a big way. Um, uh, you know, since that all started, we're working on a new project to hopefully relight the, the caverns uh, again. And it's going to be a really exciting project we're working on. Oh, really? The lighting was one of the things that was so spectacular about yeah. it. Now, I, I can only imagine the first man that went down the little hole from the top of the hill was in the dark and he had yeah. no idea other than his candle, what he was looking at, but you have it so well lit over there. We had um, taken a, a long road trip where, you know, we were taking photographs of New York city and photographs of Gettysburg and photographs of, of different places that we were visiting but when I got to the Luray Caverns, I was already 30 or 40 photos into my first oh. hundred feet. I mean, I just kept snapping everywhere I went. I just couldn't believe how beautiful it was and how well lit it was that you could take beautiful photographs. On our well, website, the, the there's, the, there's one the of caverns, mine. It's, it's really special. You know, it, uh, 
we were the first continually lighted caverns in the world. Uh, and uh, there was one in uh, uh, Australia that I went to and visited, and they were open two weeks. Then they closed it down for until 1921, I believe. And uh, then they relighted it again. But ours is the oldest continually lighted cavern in the world in 1881. And um, we've always always been on the edge of that uh, technology. And this technology we're getting now is going to be computerized and it's going to be choreographed and has has a lot of good preservation elements to fight algae in it. And uh, there are technical uh, questions that I won't get into, but uh, but it's it's going to be a fabulous project. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. They have all of these improvements going all the time. You see, this is how they reel you in. You think you've seen it in the Ray Caverns. And like, There's always more to see. A year or two later, well, well it's all this now. You know? <laughs> that's, that's the great news. And one thing, gentlemen, I wanted to say that was very impressive to me was the way that people talked to and treated each other during the tour. As we were all exploring the caverns, there was almost a cathedral-like atmosphere, I think that's fair to say, where people respected each other, they respected each other's space, they didn't just, they weren't, nobody was photobombing anyone, though lots of pictures were being taken, and there was a sense of, this is a very special place on this planet, under the surface, and so people tended to defer to each other's sensibilities, if you will, and I thought that just made it extra special to do the tour. I think you're right, Gary. It does seem like people have a reverence down there for Mother Nature and kind of, uh, you know, shed the rush of what's going on above above ground and really kind of connect with each other and with the space. It's it's wonderful to see. Well, Gary, the relationship between man and cave is something that's really, I'm convinced, is, is built into all of our DNAs. And uh, I think that we it's a place we can reconnect as human beings and uh, with nature. So uh, uh, it's, you see it in the cave. And I've had that discussion with a lot of my, my cave friends that are in the business and the ones that like to, to that are cavers. And uh, yeah, it's a place where you kind of reconnect. <laughs> Do either of you use the term spelunking very often? No, <laughs> it's one that if you're in the business or you like to, to cave, uh, you know right away that, that they're either a novice or don't know what they're talking about. But but the word most most people that search for caves are called cavers. Uh, spelunking is a term. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but anyway. But yeah, most times it's cavers. Yeah. I just asked that because it seems to me that a word like spelunking, it, it's a thing. The word doesn't get used in a direct way all that often. I've found if you're searching for something, it could be your keys and you're looking around, <laughs> let me spelunk for my keys or my wife's purse or whatever it would be to go there. And they talk about it that way, but caving itself is very serious business because oh, yeah. of the innate risks. Well, the the people that are that are cavers and love to go caving are really special people. And I was just recently doing some of that uh, a couple months ago, and continue to do it. And here at the caverns and on my on my private property, uh, it's just it's just wonderful. I just I love the mystery of it, and I love a challenge. And 
it's it's just interesting better you than me <laughs> <laughs> i just love i just love the challenge of it it's it's it could be it could be dangerous sometimes it really can but it's the it's the unknown that i like and the mystery it's it's uh it's it's just fun it sounds exciting. so much fun it sounds exciting. <laughs> gary and i didn't know what to expect when we went there and it's right outside the um, Shenandoah National Park, another place that uh, we stopped at briefly. And we weren't sure, it was our first time ever going into a, a cave together. And so we were in the parking lot and some people were leaving. And and I, I remember saying, how cold is it down there? Because we, we wanted to know if we should be bringing jackets or, or what we should do. It was actually very comfortable. And they and what the answer that we got from this other couple was, it's cool, but it's not cold. <laughs> True. So, and and yeah. does the temperature remain fairly constant down there? It does, Suzanne. It, it remains about 54 degrees all year long with about 86% relative humidity. So it does feel a bit warmer. <laughs> Uh, feels about like 65 degrees when you when you walk through. Um, you certainly feels great in the summer. You don't need a, a jacket, and in the winter it feels warm, so it is great. And you know, cave temperatures are kind of the medium temperature median temperature of the region. So the median temperature here in Virginia and Loray is uh, 54 degrees. If you're in a cave in Texas, it's a little warmer, 58 degrees or so. If you're in the Bahamas, you know it's warmer yet. So I went to a cave in Texas recently, and you. They have a door on the outside of it, and the door was sweating. And wow. it's 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 just like Bill said. It it collects the the median of the temperature outside. And there, I think the Earth was around 62. If I remember, it was really hot in there compared to ours. But ours is very comfortable and inviting. Yes, it is. And as far as I know, I mean, it's still happening right now there was a, a little bit of dampness on the ground although it, there weren't actual big puddles but the the uh, moisture is still coming up to create the stalagmites from the floor and it was also dripping from the ceiling so right. even though it's uh, over 400 million years old it has not stopped in its expansion that's right. It's it's an active cavern. So mm -hmm. anything wet you see down there is is growing and active. Anything dry is not active right now. It just does doesn't mean it won't be active again sometime in the future. It just depends on how, how the water is coming in and the topography up up top. You know, it changes over time and uh, will put shunt water in different directions. And so parts of the caverns get drier or wetter as things change and the, and you don't see a lot of puddles because the caverns is uh, the water tables below where the caverns is situated so all the water will drip down and go go below the cavern so we don't get floods or things like that there's a uh, uh, our undiscovered areas of the caverns that we started to realize that we thought were there but uh national geographic and right by the time i graduated from school uh, came out with an article about caves, and they're, most of them are conical shapes, and we do have rooms below water, and I told my wife I wanted to explore those and get my license to scuba dive, and she said that she was going back to Portugal. So. <laughs> <laughs> She's from Portugal, so, so that I got my marching orders not to do that, but uh, I would have loved to have done that, but uh, 
you know, maybe there's room for that in the future professionally for somebody, but uh, it's faster. It's like Bill said, everything's below that, but, and that's how it started out. The cave was full of water and carbonic acid and it just ate that hollow out. Uh, the, 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 the limestones uh, was, you know, cored out by that basically. You know, I said there were no puddles on the ground and, and to be more precise, in the walkways, you don't have to, you know, jump over water. It's damp, yeah. but but it's safe. It's safe. However, there are ponds down there that uh, you can photograph. And uh, some of the most interesting photographs I had were of these uh, areas that had collected water where you were looking at the reflection of what was above, below in the water. And in the photographs, you really have to point that out to people. You have to say, you see that line right there? Well, that's that's where the top of the water was. And then, oh, is that how it is? Because you're actually looking at a mirror image. And there are a number of places inside the caverns that do have what I'm calling these ponds. Is that what you call them? We call them pools i guess pools, or reflecting pools pools, pools yeah, of water the, yeah yeah the dream we call the one you're talking about is called we call it dream lake it is the largest body of water in the caverns mm -hmm. it's about 2500 square feet very special place it is a very special place people respond to that uh i mean people just are fascinated by it and just mesmerized by it i, I certainly get that way but it is a uh true reflection of the ceiling. There's still only stalagmites hanging from, uh, stalactites hanging from the ceiling. And so it creates a complete uh, reflection of, of the ceiling and it just looks so deep. It's so illusionary. Yes. I mean, it uh, looks like an enchanted forest. Absolutely. It's only about 18 inches deep and, uh, but it looks like six or eight feet yeah, deep. Yeah. It, yes, so it's, it's a crazy illusion. That was a moment that I had to describe as surreal, which right. is a good thing because when I hear the word surreal applied to any context, 90% of the time, it's like somebody was caught up in, in a tornado or they had to survive a hurricane or something like that, which we did recently and without much damage either. Thank goodness. Hurricane wow. Ian there. I didn't want to call that surreal. I wanted to use that word to save it really for special experiences. And that is one that stands out for me, gentlemen, because when I was looking at that, the water wasn't moving. If the water's undisturbed, you get this beautiful, perfect reflection. And I go, well, now this is a like a perceptual trick of the mind I'm looking at, as Suzanne had pointed it out to me. And then she took a picture, and then I took a picture. Other people took pictures. And as I'm looking at it, I go, you could really get disoriented if you weren't aware of what you were doing and where you were doing it at that moment. The first explorers... Uh went down, we know that they had stocking caps on because they were afraid to hurt their head, which was a very smart idea. And they had uh, bib overalls on. And they got a little frightened that they were going to fall down a, a deep cavity from some of the early letters I've read that they were going to get hurt. And it was all illusionary. And one of the most seminal moments when I was a child going through Leary Caverns was to see my first drip come from the ceiling and hit dream lake and i came back to reality again <laughs> yeah. we have a producer who is and now david is with us today normally we have nathan miller we call him tall guy nathan i think he's about six seven so i wouldn't recommend that you guys even let him in 
<laughs> you do have the low the, the low overhanging rock formations there was a guy in the parking lot who actually said because suzanne was asking uh, he and his wife apparently they're about the temperature you know the uh, ambient temperature that's what suzanne wanted to know and before i could say anything the husband says you're gonna have to watch your head i'm six three there and I found that there were different places which I approached very deliberately because I didn't want to miss much of anything as I was taking this walking tour. So I was very conscious of just needing to duck in certain places, look around, and make sure I stayed safe. And the good docents working there advised me similarly. So um, I got out of there without any injuries. So it was it was just uh. wonderful to have that experience. But you really have to be aware of your surroundings. I think in a way that most people are not. Look at how we drive our cars. Now, may, the two of you may be the pinnacle of, of defensive driving there. That may be true. I try to be the same myself. But when you're out there, how many times do you, oh, my God, I didn't know there was a motorcycle right next to me. And we're just not aware. We're doing our thing. But down there, you're put into a space literally under the surface of the earth and you need to be mindful of where you are aesthetically and physically i hadn't had an experience like that in the longest time oh, <laughs> that's great to hear we are at the point where we'll take our one and only break we're talking with bill huffman and rod graves of the luray caverns in virginia shenandoah valley so much to see there when we come back Suzanne and I want to get the story for all of our listeners. You're going to love this. Have you ever heard of a stalactite organ? There's at least one in the world. We stood right by it, took some pictures, and listened to some unearthly sounds that came from the bosom of the earth itself. Extraordinary experience, true of all the caverns. But when you listen to that pipe organ play, you are being transported to another place in your mind. We want to talk about that. And also, as Suzanne will conduct the marketing piece, as we call it, you'll find how easy it is to visit there because it's so close to the places you know about already in that vector of the continental United States. We'll get to that and so much more. There's a lot of history to cover as well. Remarkable people making something remarkable happen with a truly special place on Earth. Give us a couple of minutes. We'll be right back here on Manson Mitchell and AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. 
Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Bernard Beitman for a return visit to discuss more meaningful coincidences. Can we create them? On Saturday, Karen Dahlman talks about the fine art of divination, including Ouija boards, Yijing, tarot, and lesser-known methods, all meant to help us navigate our lives. Bringing you fascinating talks since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Multicultural, multidimensional even. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guests, Bill Huffman and Rod Graves from the Luray Caverns. What you just heard was a little bit of organ music from an organ made from stalactites, the stalactite organ. Gentlemen, if people would like to come to the Luray Caverns, and everyone should put that on their bucket list, mm-hmm. I was looking on a map, and you look like you're relatively close not only to Charlottesville, Virginia, but even Washington, D.C. If people want to see you, how do you recommend they get there? Well, they are certainly, we encourage everyone to come visit. We are about 90 minutes from the belt, Beltway in D.C., about an hour from Charlottesville. It's very easy to take uh, 340 or 211 to mm-hmm. get right here to the caverns. It's uh, a beautiful drive on the way. As soon as you get out here, you're in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley, um, no traffic, uh, you know, it's just the perfect place and a great escape from the city. You know, we're, we yeah. have about uh, 60 uh, countries on average visit us a year, uh, people representing different countries. And uh, so it's, it's on a given day in the middle of the summer, it's like, uh, it's like being at Dallas Airport, you know, it, it really it's is. fascinating you know, to grow up seeing all these different cultures and come to our little town know, in pe- Luray. People of all, all backgrounds and, and uh, descriptions that you could imagine. And so it was, it was, it was really quite international and uh, it's always been that way for the most part. It was uh, when it was discovered, it was called the discovery of the century in the New York Herald uh, uh, magazine, which was pretty much our time magazine today. And uh, it was a big deal. And then the London Illustrated News got a hold of it. And then uh, Harper's Weekly magazine, an even more important magazine at that time, got a hold of it. And uh, they illustrated the caverns, these really iconic illustrations uh, at the time uh, in the late 19th century. Uh, Bill, you've got a website, yes? And any other way that people can connect with you? Yes, uh, of course. LaraeCaverns.com is our website. Uh, we're on Facebook at Laray Caverns, Instagram, Twitter. We're, we're everywhere that uh, social media happens. And I'm, I'm just going to spell it out, although it seems ridiculous, but Laray is L-U-R-A-Y, LaraeCaverns.com. Best place to go and start and just check out some of the photos and some of the information. You wanted to talk about the stalactite organ. I do. I just wanted to point out before we do, though, uh, thank you, Suzanne, is um, 
when we talk about availability, some people might be curious about your hours, when they can go there. Oh, geez, I'd love to see it, but we're going to be in the Luray area on Christmas Day. So that opportunity is shot there. How do you guys maintain those hours and your availability? You're unique in that regard. Yes, we're open every day of the year, even Christmas, New Year's That's Day, right. Thanksgiving, all the holidays. So, yeah. no, we have no people love we are very busy on christmas day believe it or not you know some people are looking for things to do after they open all the presents some folks uh, don't celebrate the way everybody else does so it's just the perfect time to come since november no november the 1st 1878 we have been open every single day since then other than a brief period during covid uh and uh, that wasn't any uh, fault of ours. <laughs> so, but we've been open every single day, even when my father died, my great grandfather died, my grandfather. We're still here. We're still here and still getting it done. Yep, and sharing this beauty with everybody. We <laughs> want right. everybody to see it. Truly extraordinary. I wanted to, uh, Suzanne was mentioning the stalactite organ. I mean, I, I wanted to tease it a little bit so that we could talk about it now. Sure. I'm thinking about, a scientific genius, the wonders of nature, a beautiful right. organ, and by reference, the Manhattan Project. I don't think they were directly connected. <laughs> I certainly hope not there. But Rod, would you tell us that story? What a remarkable piece of the heritage. Yeah, uh, it's it's it is a remarkable story, and I get Dad to tell it to me sometimes. One time he was at the 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 supper table telling us all about it. And he said, you know, he said, this thing would not have ever happened had it not been for your mother, uh, my mother, Rebecca Graves. And dad, you know, dad got a lot of proposals during my lifetime of people uh, uh, coming in. You could imagine Suzanne and Gary of people asking to do different things, you know, and and uh, this man says, well, I'm a, a, a scientist, but I'm a musician. And he said, I want to create a. Uh, an organ that where the uh, uh, Mr. Graves that uh, has they can play uh, and be a very large instrument and he described the whole thing to him and Dad was fascinated by it but he kind of laughed it off at the supper table in those days in 19 about 1954 well 53 and um, Leland Sprinkle came to him with this idea and my mother woke him up about three o'clock in the morning and said Ted you must do this. <laughs> and he says, well, what do you mean, Rebecca? He said, well, I, she said, this will, will change Lurie Caverns forever. And she said, this is a very special musical idea. And she said, you do it. And so he, he kind of reluctantly said, okay, and did it. And then the more he got to working with this guy, realized it was just something really special. And dad was, dad was a visionary, but mom was a visionary musician. <laughs> <laughs> and the wind behind his sails for sure. So this man spent uh, about three years developing the, the great stalag pipe organ. Um, it's all done with uh, the formations in the caverns that are that were finally, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, grinded down to create a certain tone. And he'd hit it with a toner and to get just the right note. And then he attached it to a little... Um, a solenoid that would tap it and it would be electronically transmitted back to what we would term as a roller piano and would would get calculated on that and then broadcasted by speakers 
And that was his idea. Very simple idea, but very complicated. And uh, during his time here, he used to come and tinker with it a lot when I was a little boy because he was a perfectionist. But it is the world's largest musical instrument. Um, it's absolutely got a, a sound musically that will give you chills when you hear it. And uh, it was completely developed by Leland Sprinkle. And he was a great man. And he was on the Manhattan Project. Uh, it was very secretive about it. And he had red skin when I was little. And I, I asked him one day, I said, well, you got burned. And dad said, no, son, don't ask him this. And and I said, and your your skin was peeling down below. And he said, no, that's, he said, that's a, um, a cover for my face because he said, you've heard of the atomic bomb. He said, I was there the day that it blasted. And um, and the government sewed this. And my dad was all upset because it was secret. And he said, no, someone needs to know this. And then it was broadcasted later after he died that he was a part of the Manhattan Project and was there for all these things. So uh, an amazing individual. Amazing guy. He worked on the first UNIVAC computer. He worked for the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. He was went to the Peabody School of Music. And that's why he had an interest in, in uh, organs. Uh, what he, he was a fascinating gentleman he and was, such a sweet person yeah. too very yeah nice. very nice man great gentleman sounds like the kind of gentleman who should in terms of pure publicity should be a lot more famous than he is i mean that's a scientific genius for you and it seems like his mind was going 24 7 in overdrive <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that was him. he was an inventor and he didn't patent anything he invented did he i mean no. he just kind of let it all be out there for public public domain well we did use. we did patent that uh stalag pipe organ uh great stalag pipe organ uh about the time i, I first came on here uh, at the board level but uh it, it, it's a very special instrument and uh there's nothing like it in the world no the tones it produces are just Oh, it's ethereal. Just, it yeah, it, it has ethereal. a That's... different quality uh, than a, a normal organ. When you go up and see that console and you look at it and you're like, well, where are all the pipes? Because that's what's missing. But you, you yeah. realize you're standing in the, the instrument. You're in it because um, it, it, it plays the cavern. You can almost feel it in your bones when you, when it's played. It's just a, it's an eerie feeling, but it's uh, something you never forget. It's eerie and there's a sacred quality to it, at least to my ear, whereas if uh, if Mr. Sprinkle did not have the musicality to offer, but just a structural idea, you know, handled the wrong way, that could sound grotesque down there. Instead, oh, yeah, yeah well, speaking of cathedral, I mean, you know, instead, speaking of cathedral, there, it's just beautiful. It's one of those transporting kinds of melodies, and it's coming essentially from the earth. It's making use of what you have around you to build this remarkable instrument. Well, it's right there in a room called the Cathedral Room. And the reason it's called the Cathedral is because back at the ballroom is the, the, the last uh, century, uh, they used to have balls in there. And my grandmother went to the last ball there in 1905, and they had chestnut planks on the floor instead of brick because the chestnut blight hit here and they use that in there. There's still some chestnut planks in certain parts of the cave that are on tour. So it's a neat heritage, you know, it's uh, very unique and special and 
it's uh it's got a personality of its own really yes that room is special they used to have a lot of dances down there and I, can, I can't imagine <laughs> coming down there in the 1800s in your woolen dresses and coming to the big plank floor with your the candles they put up in the uh, wagon wheel and hoisted in the ceiling and the little ray band would play and they'd start at 10 o'clock at night and they'd dance all night good stuff yeah can you imagine mm. <laughs> great. you could we, make it up <laughs> we spent uh as much time as we could in the caverns going as slowly as we could and taking hundreds of photographs and it's not the only thing that's there i mean this is a destination that has multiple things to see and um you know, Bill, what, what else is going on in that same area of Luray Caverns? Because Gary and I went to the car and carriage caravan and Toy Town Junction, but you have other things in the area that are all connected with the caverns. What what else is over there? Absolutely. Well, the general mission ticket uh, include, is a great value. It, in, it includes the caverns tour, the car and carriage caravan museum, of course, Toy Town Junction, we have Shandor Heritage Village across the road. So that's all included in the general admission ticket. It's a great value. You can spend a whole day here. Then we also have a couple, uh, you know, other uh, extra fee attractions like our garden maze. It's a one acre ornamental maze. You try to find your way through. Um, that always stumps me. So I, <laughs> and then we do have a rope adventure course as well, where you get harnessed in and there's a, you get to go on all these obstacles and kind of, it's a good team building thing and just a lot of fun. Kids love to do that too. So if you want to burn off some energy uh, for the kids before you leave, uh, send them through the maze or on the ropes course. And then you can also uh, pan for gyms over at the Shandor Heritage Village. And it's just so much fun to see kids uh, really connect again with the rocks and nature and learn things about what gyms are finding. And it, it's it's wonderful to see. Yeah, the Shandor Heritage Village uh, uh, built years, well, about, about 13 years ago now. And uh, it celebrates the history of the Shenandoah Valley and gets kids involved with history and heritage and the, the natural beauty of of uh this area and the very special nature of of what happened and developed here in the Shenandoah Valley that helped create our nation as a whole and the and really the the kind of the personality let's say of the the nation was kind of created on this what was once the frontier of America uh and that was broadcasted throughout the United States and so it's, it's a very special story uh, something we're all very proud of and uh the, our we've got a, a nice facility on the whole campus my brother and i are working on a project now to uh also have a uh an increased um increase our our whole campus together uh as one unit and to have a, a walking mall uh with new ticketing area and other facilities that will be really nice and gardens and some water features and this sort of thing. So that's up and coming as well. So uh, you have to come back and see. Yeah, okay, I got to come back. <laughs> of course you know, we, we do. Plan to. You can, we, we wanted people to appreciate everything uh, above ground as well as below, especially below, because uh, that's why people come here. True. But the the uh, Car and Carriage Caravan Museum was my dad's uh, dad's dream, and uh, was one of the first transportation museums on on the United or in the Eastern United States. And um, uh, it was a very special museum as well. 
I would like to talk about that for a moment. Yes. Suzanne and I went in there. Oh, my goodness, to see all these cars in pristine condition. And oh. they're from way back when. What was interesting was the socioeconomic aspect that just happened to right. jump out at me. Because, I mean, there are some mighty fancy cars. You got a Rolls in there. But also, I saw that there was an attempt to mass produce General Motors, Ford, of course, there to create the kind of cars that would take everybody into the new age before there were even paved roads throughout much of the country and certainly no high interstate highway system. But these conveyances represent a timeline of technological pro progress and also the relative means that people had to finally get a family car in a way I think that might have been similar to getting your first TV or your first color TV. You were stepping up in the world. 100 percent. What you what you said, the word, you know, the social change that, that the automobile did and the character of the country really changed after that. And uh, uh, it gave especially in America, gave the, the every man a chance to be a somebody man and uh, really to be some of the wealthier people in the world that we are today. Um, having that link to transportation is just, it's mind boggling to see how that changed everything um, for America and the world. But it, it was it was singularly here in this country for the everyman, that, the, you know, the, the regular guy out there working hard to have transportation and wheels to get from point a to point b at his you know at his beck and call or his, her beck and call uh was a game changer changed a lot of things uh morally too speaking um and uh, economically socially it changed a lot of things and mostly for the better i'd say I'll bet you that at least a few of those cars for a time had to share the crude roads of a bygone era with <laughs> horses. Yes, sir. I mean, to try it, uh, they had that. I was reading about California sometime back, and they said that was going on in Pasadena in the early days. Oh, so sure. Until they got it together, you know, it was every driver for himself or every rider for him or herself. Exactly. And very few rules. They kind of just developed uh, the some of the first cars that were out there were really hated by people that owned carriages and wagons <laughs> because they these uh, contraptions would come running down the road and very volatile and uh, with untrained drivers and it was all free for all and a lot of times uh, there was some complaints and you had to get flags a flagman in front of you uh, in in some countries and states in the United States to go out ahead of you to warn horses that you were coming <laughs> wow wow and it's, the roads were a mess too that like where bill's daddy grew up out here was called mud pike and yeah. and the disasters you people get stuck out there all the time with these early automobiles so yeah it was uh very challenging we certainly look forward to a second trip there. That that is what that's it made it back onto a bucket list. Now that's unusual for oh, us. Yeah. <laughs> keep expanding the list as we get older. And they let's go it, back and see that. It only again. went on the bucket list at the hotel. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, it was a 2022 <laughs> bucket list. That's right. <laughs> well, we were we're certainly glad that 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 brochure 
uh, found your, it, interest, found yeah. it in your hands. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it, it, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah, I, I'm not trying to be too selfish here. I just wanted one for it. There's a his and hers of the brochures yeah. we have right here <laughs> because we just want to keep that handy. We absolutely do. And I think we were so fascinated by the fact that this was all done so naturally. Yes, there are lights. Yes, there are walkways and railings. You're not going to get hurt going there because you're you're well protected. But the idea that something so beautiful was discovered in 1878 that had been there over 400 million years, these natural wonders that we have in the United States there's probably not a person who hasn't heard about, you know, Yellowstone or, uh, you know, Yosemite or Carlsbad Caverns or Carlsbad Caverns. I just, I just Caverns. got back from there. Yeah, <laughs> that was a bucket list for me. <laughs> really, this this is like right up there with those things that are above ground. You know, that you can look into the Grand Canyon and be awestruck by the Grand Canyon. In the same way, you can go to Luray Caverns and be completely awestruck by the caverns. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it is below ground rather than above ground, the planes aren't flying over. You can't really see it. You do need to go there and, and go inside and, and take a look at what's there. But it was that natural beauty, that unbelievable natural beauty, something that was you know created for our enjoyment to see. What hath God wrought? And this was during the same 17-day road trip, gentlemen, in which... We went to dinner with our hosts in New Jersey at a nice Italian meal. And then out of nowhere, our host says, hey, I'll drive us into the city. We can go to Times Square on a Friday night there. And I swear to you, uh, both there walking out of this parking garage into New York City, Times Square, just like that there and being in the Luray Caverns shares one thing in common. Suzanne is looking at my jaw drop in both places saying, you look like a tourist. <laughs> I'm a tourist. There, there are things, whether they're man-made primarily or wrought by God, there we're talking about an extraordinary trip that we took, and we just couldn't appreciate it the same way if we hadn't been to Luray Caverns. We shall return. Thank awesome. you so Great. much you for, for coming you. on and talking about it with us today. We get to relive it and our listeners get to uh, experience one day of our, our road trip. And so we're really glad that you joined us today. You all, you all are del really delightful. Delightful, delightful it people. Our and, pleasure. And very, uh, uh, I'm just so glad you have a good, genuine experience here. You know, it means a lot yes. to and the bill. Yes. Thank you. We'll do it again and we'll stop in and shake hands. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you. All right. We're going to be back next Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific. We will. And we're archived because this will be a podcast if you want to enjoy this one or any of the others again. Have a great weekend, everyone. We're glad that you join us every time you do.